Hello and a warm welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Wednesday, the 22nd of September 2021. Terry Sheehan is on the US East Coast and I'm Jeremy Hawkins in London. Well, despite the volatility caused by soaring natural gas prices and the crisis surrounding the Chinese property giant Evergrande, the main focus this week was always going to be the Fed. And of course, in particular, whether or not Mr. Powell and co would indicate they're about to take the first steps on the path to normalising US monetary policy. Just yesterday, the Bank of Japan and the People's Bank of China announced no changes to their stances and similar outcomes are fully discounted for both the Swiss National Bank and the Bank of England tomorrow. But what of the Fed? Their decision was announced only a short while ago. So, Terry, was it white smoke issuing forth from the Fed's policy chimney or are we still waiting to find out what happens next? Well, the smoke was about as white as it could be. That's Um, what we want to hear. Well, you know, it's interesting. Of course, they can never say they have definitely made the decision and that they're going to do it. But um, it looks like the Fed is well positioned to announce their taper at their next meeting at the beginning of November. Uh, Powell went so far as to say that if they start around then, they should be finishing their taper later next year. Uh, So I think that's about as clear as we're going to get. Of course, there's always the risks that sit in between one meeting and the next. Um, You know, any exogenous event could derail this. Um, You know, a worsening in the pandemic or even another big debt limit crisis here in the U.S., which we're looking at possibly having in October, um, could cause Fed policymakers to decide they need to delay. Okay, well, let's suppose then, as you say, they they do start tapering in November. Um, Do we have any kind of time frame as to how long they're going to be tapering for before they do something on interest rates? Uh, No, Powell was very clear to try and disengage any expectation of changing rates with an end to the taper. Um, If we look at the Fed forecast, which they updated this time around, um, it still looks like the earliest possible date would be in 2023. So it would be quite a disconnect between the end of the taper and liftoff for interest rates. Okay, and this magical dot plot, which markets always like to get so agitated about, do they give us any idea about how far interest rates might actually rise over the course of the forecast period? Oh, um, I I think no more than about 25 basis points, realistically. Uh, It's really, you know, liftoff is going to be especially after the the Fed's previous experience with this coming off the effect of lower bound, changes are going to be incremental and slow unless there is something in the economic data that makes them change their mind on that. Okay, now something I did notice from just quickly looking at some of the numbers, it seems as if the, the forecasts for inflation have been revised up, certainly significantly this year anyway. So I'm guessing that um, by the end of kind of the projection period, we're still talking about negative real interest rates, in which case, to all intents and purposes, you know, historically speaking, we're still you know, talking about also a very loose Fed policy. Uh, yes, I mean, I, I think it's going to be extremely accommodative policy for a very long time yet. 
Right. Let's talk about Larissa around this. And I'll sort of partly just draw a little bit of, I suppose, of Europe into it. Something I sort of mentioned in the intro, one of the, the major sort of headline media focus points at the moment, and indeed driving the some of the financial markets over here, has been this massive increase we've had. I know it's more in Europe than your side, but in um, energy price, particularly uh, uh, natural gas prices. And that's rather, I think, appears to be being interpreted along the lines that rather than perhaps putting additional pressure on central banks to tighten, because inevitably it's going to feed through into headline inflation rates. The concern here is it could actually start eroding you know, household disposable incomes um, and hence lead to a potential slowdown in growth. And for those countries which perhaps are still struggling to emerge from the coronavirus, it might even actually dampen the recovery significantly. So were there, was there any kind of hints about the you know, concerns about that from the Fed side? No, in fact, they didn't really even talk about um, energy costs right now. Um, it, the focus really was on where the Fed's forecasts were headed. And it is interesting that although they did up their forecast for inflation in 2021, um, they barely budged the forecast in 2022 and didn't change it at all for 2023. So it looks like they're still banking on transitory inflation at, as far as their forecasts go. Um, oh. And but of course, you know, energy costs are often a wild card here mm -hmm. uh, and can move suddenly in in large increments. So, um, you know, if, if those increases in energy costs start to show up in the U.S., that becomes more concerning for the Fed's outlook. OK, and I suppose so in some ways related to the inflation outlook, unemployment um, on a number of podcasts, you've been talking about how important um, unemployment is to Fed policy. What are they saying about in terms of their projections now they expect for that? And can we glean anything from their presumably revised forecast for employment compared to what they're saying last time for um, for the outlook for policy? Well, I they they did, in fact, raise their forecast about what unemployment rates are going to look like. But Powell used a couple of times the phrase that their expectations for improvement in the labor market have been all but met. So um, even mm -hmm. with slightly higher unemployment rates than they had originally forecast, uh, it still looks like they see the sort of substantial recovery in the labor market that they've been looking for. Um, they, you know, they pointed out that the leisure and hospitality sector, which was so hard hit at the start of the pandemic, is the one that's made the biggest comeback. And those gains have slowed lately because of the rise of the Delta variant. So um, that that remains a, a risk for the outlook for unemployment. But they also see that a number of the reasons that people have been reluctant to return to the labor market, such as unemployment programs, um, those are winding down for some recipients. So uh, there's going to be more motivation to get people back into the labor market. So you think on the whole, the Fed feels cautiously happy with the way the U.S. economy is evolving now? Or do you think it's getting to the stage now whereby they're feeling under pressure to try to normalize monetary policy within reason as quickly as they can do, just in case things start turning sour again and effectively they've got very little ammunition left? I think that they would absolutely deny that they have very little ammunition left. I think they would say I'm sure that they, they have would. Plenty, plenty of tools to still work with. 
But really, I think what they see is a U.S. economy that has come roaring back from the shortest recession on history, which was only two months. Mm -hmm. But it was also a deep one and has caused a lot of restructuring. Um, I think they're wading through data that uh, in some cases it doesn't fully reflect the restructuring in the U.S. economy. So they're having to interpret it cautiously. But uh, from what Powell said and what comments I've seen from others, most of them are cautiously optimistic, I think. Okay, well, I guess then moving on from that, although inevitably I was going to ask you about how, how the Fed sees this, um, onto this de- debt ceiling. Um, you mentioned, I think, just a short while ago that basically not too much has happened in terms of progressing anywhere on that front. Um, if we continue to be in this kind of log jam, does that constitute a downside risk to potential Fed tapering? Yes. Um, if, I mean, it, everyone uses the term unthinkable when it comes mm-hmm. to a default of the U.S., but with some of the political shenanigans, I, you know, it, it does make me extremely worried that um, it's not going to be resolved as cleanly or as quickly as it needs to be. Um, Just, I mean, it just, the U.S. failing to service its debt in a timely manner is just something I can't even contemplate. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, and I, you know, I can't imagine what policymakers think of it who are much better informed of the implications of such a thing. Um, I I think that it will be resolved. I think it's going to be a particularly contentious process in something that has become a genuinely contentious contentious process in the last 10, 20 years. Um, Something that should never have been used as a political tool has become one. but uh, I, I think the implications of failure to do so are just so great that um, some solution will be found. But um, we still need to hear from Treasury Secretary Yellen uh, a little more about the exact date that the Treasury projects um, last week the Treasury would have been getting its quarterly tax receipts. So um, as soon as those are tabulated, I'm sure we'll be getting uh, something a little more definitive. But the date is approaching. Will politicians ever learn? Okay, Um, thanks for that, Terry. Unless you have anything else you want to put into the pot? Uh, No, um, we're actually having generally pretty good economic data right now. Mm -hmm. for things like the housing market. Um, The slowdowns there uh, seem to be more an adjustment to a more sustainable level of activity. That's a good thing. Um, Inflation is still more elevated than we would like, but it seems to be easing up a little bit. Uh, Retail sales have been exceptional for the third quarter, or at least above expectations. So fingers crossed, we're doing pretty good right now. Okay, good to hear. Thanks for that, Terry. 
Okay, then on to um, other parts of the world. I guess I should uh, just mention a little bit about the Evergrande situation, at least as you record this podcast, as mentioned on the Wednesday, the 22nd of September. I think the general consensus is that uh, the issues surrounding uh, the property company are, are nothing like as bad as we saw when we had, well, the old crisis, obviously uh, Lehman crisis or the LTCM crisis of so many years ago. Exposures certainly coming out of the likes of the US and indeed a fair chunk of Europe are nothing like as big as they were in those days. Uh, but nonetheless, it's worthwhile, I think, you know, not necessarily just looking at so much the financial implications of what's going on with Evergrande. They do have these two uh, bond payments to make on Thursday. As we understand, it currently looks like at least part or some of one of those bond repayments will actually be in initiated, but obviously it remains to be seen. But either way, uh, the Chinese property market is quite clearly in uh, a pretty dire state at the moment. And if we do indeed see a default coming out of Evergrande, um, well, bear in mind that uh, that property market itself is worth something like the best part of 50% or so uh, consumption of steel output at the moment, as well as, of course, Chinese uh, being a, a massive buyer of commodity commodities in general. So it could actually lead to uh, perhaps a, you know, a real undercutting of current high levels of commodity prices if it happens. Uh, it may or may not. We'll have to wait and see on that. But certainly it could be significant knock-on effects for inflation in that part of the world, albeit perhaps not quite so much other parts. Okay, um, across to Europe then, well, it is inflation, which is very much one of the talking points over here, as I mentioned in the intro. Um, soaring gas prices, and that's really just down to, well, a whole combination of different events which have led to uh, the big increase we've had over the last, what, over this year, really. Uh, as far as Europe's con concerned, the wholesale market has seen prices rise by the best part, what, 250, almost 300% since the beginning of the year, and about 40% over the course of the last uh, couple of weeks or so. Um, it really means that it, we potentially for Europe anyway, we'll be heading into the winter period with inventories which are well round about what a decade low or so. So it kind of suggests that unless we're going to see a big increase in supply and for the likes of Europe, Russia is a, a major supplier into the market and they so far look like they're not going to budge. It sort of suggests that uh, energy prices are going to remain high for a long time yet. So it does suggest that high rates of inflation in Europe, or at least rising rates of in Europe, could well be a feature for several months to come. That's clearly going to give the central banks uh, something to think about. The ECB and indeed the Bank of England will probably do their best to say, well, look, this is temporary. At some point, you know, markets will return to normal and we should see some of these upside pressures begin to subside a little bit. But it could make it that much harder to justify holding on to existing uh, quantitative easing practices or indeed ultimately interest rates. Um, that said, of course, um, these uh, increase in prices is having in some parts of Europe anyway, a fairly significant economic impact in terms of uh, real real numbers. UK, for example, we had a couple of major fertilizer plants are having to close down earlier on this week. And these are major providers. And it has serious knock-on effects for the food industry, which needs the uh, the CO2, the carbon dioxide gas they produce as an offshoot. Uh, without then, a lot of the meat industry effectively can't function. So the government's been forced to intervene here and uh, essentially 
provide a bailout to make sure at least one of these plants continues to function. But it's an indication of just how serious um, what's happening at the moment to gas prices could be. Um, indeed, we've already seen um, consumer, consumer support programmes being announced in France, Spain. Italy is expected to follow suit in the, in, in the next few days. Germany might well do too once they get their federal election out of the way on Sunday. So as I mentioned, inflation, although the central banks continue to maintain over here, it's um, just something, as Terry was saying, stateside is transitory and not a structural issue, but it could be around rather longer than the central banks are, are intimating it will be at the moment. What about the numbers then? Well, as far as Europe's concerned, um, by and large, as we talked about in the past, it's kind of OK. Certainly not doing as well as the States is, but we'll get key updates coming from the purchasing managers surveys on Friday. These will be the flash indices for September. By and large, forecasters, as they tend to do with these numbers, are looking for just a small change, if anything, slightly lower uh, composite output indices for most of the Eurozone group and indeed the UK as well. Um, and that at least give us some kind of idea just to how much recent developments have been hitting the eurozone economy. Out of interest, uh, IFO, the highly respected business group um, in Germany, they've just cut their German 2021 GDP forecast by fully 0.8 percentage points to 2.5% this year. And that's been gradually sort of massaged down during the course of 2021. And again, at least as far as Europe's concerned, is a further reflection of the fact that earlier hopes that we would see a very strong rebounding growth coming through from the second quarter into the second half of the year really had been a little bit overcooked and uh, by and large uh, forecasts across the board have pretty pretty well had to be massage, massage lower which of course have implications for ECB policy which amongst the central banks at the moment as we said before looks as likely as any to be uh, a soft for as long as they can get away with. Talking to central banks uh, tomorrow, Thursday, we'll have the Bank of England meeting. I guess here it's almost becoming a case of stagflation concerns, although the Bank of England certainly wouldn't admit to that at the moment. Um, clearly, as mentioned, inflation has been rising quite sharply in Europe and particularly in the UK. The August CPI we had out last week jumped up to 3.2% from 2%. The core was up from 3.1%, sorry, 2-3.1% from 1.8%. And to put those in to context, they're the sharpest increase we've ever had since they started collecting the data. Now, we got all sorts of technical distortions from VAT cuts to sales differences and things like that, which are bassing the numbers up. But nonetheless, it means that the bank's going to have to revise up its forecast inflation rates when it gets to its net set of forecasts in a couple of months' time. However, the problem for them is that whilst Terry's was suggesting that by and large the US economy is not doing too badly, retail sales in the UK for um, for August, they posted their fourth consecutive decline. And to put that into what that actually means, well, without any revisions, September now will need a monthly bounce of at least 12.3% just to keep the retail sector flat in the third quarter. So in other words, it's almost a given that we'll see the retail sector subtracting from third quarter UK GDP growth. The July figure for monthly GDP was only just up 0.1%. So it really does look as if the third quarter is going to be a pretty disappointing one as far as the UK economy is concerned. So when the Bank of England MPC meet tomorrow, on the one hand, they're going to be facing you know, above target and indeed above their own forecast uh, increases in consumer prices. But at the same time, a surprisingly rapid slowdown in what's happening to domestic demand. Now, the monthly data as we emerge from 
the COVID obviously are going to continue to be very volatile. So you had to be careful about drawing too many conclusions from those. But at the moment, although it very much suggests that the bank will play safe and leave policy on hold, you know, the outlook is going to be that much more clouded now, perhaps, than it was at the time of their meeting last month. I should also mention now to the UK, the Swiss National Bank will have their meeting tomorrow, as we talked about on previous podcasts, really for the SNB. It boils down to what's going on with the key euro Swiss franc cross, which, as we record this podcast, really isn't very different from where it was at the time of the last meeting back in June. They have had to intervene in August time to prevent the Swiss franc from strengthening more than they would like, because unlike many central banks, although inflation has gone up a little bit in Switzerland, it really ain't gone up much and it's still far too low. Indeed, inflation was only just 0.9%, the annual rate in August, and the core rate was just 0.4%. So really, they do want to see inflation higher in that particular part of the world. And so anything which strengthens the Swiss franc will work in the other direction, and they won't want to see that. So steady policy out of both the Bank of England and Swiss National Bank seems pretty well nailed on as far as Thursday is concerned. Um, elsewhere, as mentioned, uh, what have we got? Out of Canada, Justin Trudeau was re-elected as Canadian Prime Minister, but just like 2019, without a majority. Um, results pretty well just mirror what happened last time. So we expect, by and large, the uh, the impact on financial markets should be, well, pretty well limited. Um, Japan, the, as mentioned in the intro, the BOJ, they maintained its short-term interest rate uh, target for minus 0.1% and the target for the 10-year bond yields at around 0%. But they did actually downgrade their outlook for both exports and output. So that could hint at a possible cut in the BOJ's overall economic assessment to come at some point. Either way, the indications are for that at least most of the major banks, they're not in a rush to follow the Fed. OK, then, that is probably enough from us for today. So we'll wrap it up there then. Um, I guess you have to say there are lots of different factors pulling in different directions at the moment in the global economy. And any central banker worth his or her salt is going to have to admit that trying to tie them together to come up with an economic forecast upon which policy can be confidently based is pretty well a non-starter. Frankly, the outlook remains as uncertain as ever. All of which means that keeping up to date with the market movers and shakers is even more important ever. And of course, the best way to do that is to keep a close eye on Econday's global economic calendar for details of all the key data and events. On behalf of Terry and myself, thanks very much for listening and we'll be back next week. See you then.